Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Comes out to Essien! Oh my goodness. It's a counter attack. It's a new dropper. And now it's in the middle. Dropper goes. Mix it on when you do. Stretch it. Stretch it. Mix it on when you do. Stretch it. Chelsea 2. Stretch it. And Didier Dropper has it. Dropper in the centre. Nicole just came to the ground and just pulled out. Good evening listeners, welcome to another episode of Chessie Hour. I am hosting this evening, I go by Timson. I am here with Dan, how are you doing my guy? Do you know what? I'm doing good. I know that like Chelsea are losing but I've it's been long enough now I'm not even focused on it so I'm just focused on my life, my life's going well so I'm doing good. Yeah, you really have to distance yourself when Chelsea are going through their worst season in the Prem ever. Um, I'm also here with someone that I've never been on before, but pleasure to be with uh, Slens. How are you doing? Hello, how are you doing? Uh, pleasure being on again. Um, good, good. I'm trying to, trying to be better, but yeah, Chelsea, Chelsea get into me. I'm not going <laughs> to it's at, it's at point. It's at that point where we compartmentalise. So Chelsea and then we separate. But um, we've got um, a few bits to talk about. We won't ha- rehash over the despair that is the current season. Uh, we're going to be talking, unfortunately, about Chelsea-Arsenal. We're going to be having a section where we discuss Frank Lampard. We're going to quickly touch over Todd Bowley and uh, just share our thoughts and opinions on Maurizio Pochettino before we take some um, some questions from the listeners and call it an evening. Um, and without further ado, let's just get into it. Yeah. First off, Chelsea lost to Arsenal 3-1. What were your thoughts on the lineup uh, um initially? Um Selens, I'll start with you. Um well in terms of the lineup itself, I mean obviously you never know what to expect when you have a squad of that many players, you never really know what to expect, but I think I was just happy to see players in the rightful position. Like with being a Chelsea fan right now, you got to take what you can, what you can get basically with that. Seeing someone like Madueke being in his natural position, seeing Raheem an actual striker, you're like, cool, I'll, I'll take it. I mean, before the game, before the lineup, I didn't have any hope, and I was quite negative about the game. But the lineup came in, and I was like, hold on, maybe, maybe we can come away with a draw or something. But yeah. It was just disappointing. Disappointing again. Like I think I've always said this, like the, the biggest indication of your coaching for me as as a manager is to see how your team presses, right? To see how your team reacts to your instructions pressing wise. And looking at our, our team and our press structure and like who we're supposed to be marking at times, it's all very chaotic. And I think it's all very indicative of the the coaching we're currently getting at the moment. I think in terms of Arsenal, they looked hungrier. They looked like they, they, they were chasing after it. 
the, that transition by Kante always stands out where he was kind of, it was a three against four and you're just seeing the whole Arsenal team chase down. Whereas we're just, you know, being like today's cool again. So it's disappointing. I mean, I never thought it would get this low, but it just keeps getting lower every week, really. <laughs> Sorry to sound so miserable, but it's just my thoughts. No Chelsea fan will blame you in this current season. <clears throat> Obviously, Dan, um, I'll go to you next. What was your thoughts on that um, starting lineup? Sterling, Aubameyang, Madueke up front with Kovar, Enzo as the deepest midfielder with Kante on the right side with Chilwell, Thiago Silva, Fafana and Asby in a back four with Asby, um, Kepa in goal. What was your thoughts? Thank you for reminding me about the lineup because the truth is I didn't care about the lineup. It's at this point now as Chelsea fans where the game comes along, like, yeah, we're playing Arsenal, but it doesn't matter who we're playing under Lampard, it's consistent L's. So why am I why am I gonna rush out to see the lineup? Why? For <laughs> what? Like we know the result. We I knew the result. So when you're saying what well, did I think about the lineup, I promise you I didn't care. I don't I, I usually check the lineup. Most Chelsea fans do. I didn't check the lineup. That's my answer. I didn't. I didn't check the lineup. Yeah, I am here. In terms of the flow of the game, um, I believe Slens hit the nail on the head. When I looked into it, it was depressing. Um, the pressing structure, which I think comes down to the manager and the way it was so easily bypassed with Jorginho dropping deep, even just the lack of Harry um, whilst Jorginho stood in between Kante and um, Aubameyang, who were essentially pressing in a 4-4-2. So um, off the ball, Kante would join Aubameyang as that second striker and would press in that 4-4-2 system. Jorginho at one stage literally put his foot on the ball in between Aubameyang and Kante and just the lack of energy or intent to press um, was evident. Uh, one sub-thing, which I'll let Slens talk about since he initially brought up pressing, was Kante. Obviously, I'm not sure if you listened to it, if uh, if you heard the Sky Sports commentary, but um, Kante was called out for his um, pressing, just kind of a lack of direction on his pressing. Um, obviously, first of all, I just want to ask Slens, did Kante's running hurt us more than help us um, in the game against Arsenal? If so, why? Because Kante's always been that energetic, um, ball-winning midfielder um, and you like him running, be, having that licence to run around. But this but this is the first time I've ever had it, seen it publicly called out as as kind of more hurtful than helpful. Um, I think with Kante, like, First of all, um, uh, he's an all-time great, but I still I've always uh, maintained that he's a bit of an awkward profile midfielder, right? Where like he's not really someone who you'd want to have in your first phase, where he's kind of controlling, you know, the deepest areas of midfield, and you're not necessarily asking for him to box the box. Uh, but I think him being called out is ironic to me, especially if it's by this manager, because like, if you remember in his nineteen twelve, sorry, the twenty twenty one stint. Um, he had them as a deepest midfielder and he was at the top of a, of a midfield three. So for him to call him out, it's a bit funny to me. I, I, I don't really understand what, what grounds he stands to do that. To be honest with you, like Kante, we know what he is. We know that he always, um, he, ch he chases down uh, uh, da dangerous areas, right? He, he gets attracted to the ball and like seven times out of ten, he'll probably win it for you and start counter-attacks. So if you see him doing that, it's obviously instructional. Like him being one of the one of the uh, furthest forward midfielders, it's 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 very obvious. And the reason it's obvious as well, come to think of it, is that in the previous games um, that we've had, I've I've been seeing him in a front three, and I'm I'm pretty sure that's because Lampard views him as someone who's kind of a a battery pack who can get the ball for you, you know, further forward, when that's not really supposed to be his role. So again, like I I, I completely. Uh, sympathise with Kante in the situation. I think when you're part of this tactical structure, like your flaws will always show up and, and even someone who's an all-time great, like I said, will suffer from, from how chaotic our press is. And I think obviously he's the biggest indication of how, of how chaotic it is because like you said, um, we were kind of drifting forward, uh, him specifically, and Arsenal all season had this trademark of having Shaka being the spare man who kind of just runs beyond uh, like between, sorry, the the centre back and the full back, and just finds those spaces, and he was doing it for the first sixty minutes, and our our manager just never reacted. So, 
yeah, I, I think it's instructional and I completely put the blame on the manager. Mm. And let me swing it to you. Um, is it pretty much indicative of Kante being an Kante being a liability in this game with his kind of um, all over the place type of pressing? Is it indicative that Lampard is just tactically out of his depth at this level, um, maybe even the Premier League level at this point? It's not. It's, it's screaming it. Do you know, when you're saying an indication, it's like, oh yeah, there's it. No, it's screaming it. It's screaming it. Ian Wright says something about how. Uh, he should get some advice from Glenn Hoddle. If I was him, brought in, I'd bring in Glenn Hoddle too to ask for advice. Because Ian Wright was saying, look at all the gaps. And that reminded me of the first match that he played for, um, that he managed for us against Man United, where Mourinho done like a 10-minute segment on the basics of football, almost like a way to, to teach Lampard. Cause he, maybe he felt embarrassed because that's his student, right? But the, it was funny because you said, depressing structure I thought you were talking about depressing I thought you said the, the structure was depressing when you're talking about them but that that kind of let me think that's the name for the Lampard philosophy like because like when it comes down to it, I think what I what I noticed because I think you talked about how everyone looked lackluster maybe not motivated but we all know that Lampard isn't supposed to be the one that is you know the, the man motivator the people person and first, and that's why when he went into the manager, he probably knew that. And he probably knew, I need to mitigate for that. So I'm going to get Jody Morris alongside me. He hasn't had Jody Morris. And to be fair, like the guys that he, like Joe Edwards and them guys, I don't think they're really, they don't have like Jody Morris. I don't really rate him in a lot of regards, but he's a people person. You can see he's a Jack the Lad. Do you know what I'm saying? And so when it comes down to it, I feel like as a manager, you bring... I feel like there's two key ways you motivate with anything. It's not just management, it's in general. You can manage, uh, motivate by the carrot and the stick, right? The carrot is to inspire through rewards. You know, you can be the best in the, like when um, Mourinho said to Lampard when he was pissing that first time, when Mourinho became manager, he was like, you're the best in the world. He's inspiring him, kind of planting that seed, you're the best in the world. The stick, we all know that Mourinho has the fear factor and that he just, I heard a story about how he made Salah cry. Do you know what I'm saying? And so everybody was like, rah, like he's a grown, he's made a grown man cry. And do you know what I'm saying? So like either you're motivated because people are different, but some people are motivated because they are scared and they don't want to be in that position or like they're inspired. And maybe some of us are motivated at different times. When I look at Lampard, I guess the only kind of thing is being motivated by seeing his work ethic. Because I think... One thing that like people always say is like again he stayed behind and he trained and all that type of stuff and so maybe he could inspire people when he was a player by the amount of work ethic by the running all of that type of stuff but as a manager I don't think he brings anything to the table I don't think he brings anything to the table he doesn't bring accountability he's he's not tactically good like we just said um, and even like again with the Jody Morris thing so maybe like you know creating something between the group because we've heard about the lack of leaders. And what was funny, and again, maybe I'm just having Lampard ramp, but fuck it, I can because we've lost six in a row. But, you know, like in lockdown, he was trying to get rid of Rudiger and fucking Jorginho. At the same time, he was like, no one's speaking on the pitch. No one's speaking. I'm like, yeah, no one's leading. We need leaders. And I just feel like he's such a pathetic guy. And I can't lie. And I, it's a bit Machiavellian of me. But as soon as I heard like rumours of Lampard coming in, I was like, yeah, bring him in. Bring him in. Because when it comes down to it, I know this guy. I, I, and I feel like the, how do I say it? The, do you know, like the sheets have been grabbed and everybody can see the ugly naked body for where it is. Do you know what I'm saying? All the things that I've been saying for two years, I'm seeing, I don't know if you've seen the 442's cartoon. Perfect. Everything I've been saying where he's just blaming, deflecting responsibility, blaming everybody else. All of that type of stuff, like everybody's seeing it. And as much as you can say, okay, cool, you've done amazing things as a player. And I think that, again, he was so motivated to be a great player. And he did the extra yards. He stayed behind doing all the extra shuttle runs, doing all the extra shooting. And that kind of helped him because he cared about his career and all that type of stuff. But actually, don't translate when it comes to management. And for all your Frank, he's a hero and all that type of stuff. Like, I'm sorry. Like... 
he was the manager of Everton and he was collecting L's after L's after L's after L's. I think he collected like five points in like a run of 13 games in the league for Everton. And then Dash came in and he got six points within his first three games. And yeah, they're not winning every game, but guess what? They're not losing every game. When we had Potter, we were a mid-table club because Potter's a mid-table man, in my opinion. Now we are relegation fodder because he is not good. He's not good. And I feel like people are even seeing that his character's not good. But anyway, back to the match. When people talk about, oh, I want all these players should be ashamed and the players should stand up. Please, please. Like if, if it's a thing where it's a couple of players, then it's a player issue. But it's, if it's every player, then, and it's not just a management thing, because again, Lampard's only been here for a while and people go, look, stop all the sacrificial lamb shit. Lampard, oh, he's, he takes the job when nobody else takes it. And I'm sorry for hijacking. But they did that shit with the transfer ban. Oh, no one else goes and takes the job. P other people would have taken the job, I promise you. And this time around, he didn't do it because of Chelsea. He did it for himself. The problem I have with Lampard is if you put your hand up to do a job, you better believe that you can do it well. But every single time he comes in saying, OK, yeah, hire me. I think I can do this. But when he's in there, then he starts saying... Look what I have to deal with. Yeah, you you knew that. You knew that coming in. And so if you don't feel like you're up for it, mate, don't take the job. Simple. And uh, also, when we talked about lineup before, and I said that I didn't... No, I saw that Felix shit that he was chatting before the match. When he was talking about Felix doesn't know where he wants to play, so therefore he's on the bench. Are you mad? Are you mad? Ah, like, I just don't... I feel like that guy is not a good soul. But when it comes down to it, um, people like Mount. He's he he. Sometimes he found it difficult to get Mount in, but he found a way. Now it's okay for you to say, do you know what? We've we've heard him talk about Pogba flicks and tricks. He doesn't like that type of player. It's okay for you to say that, but when it comes down to it, Kante doesn't play attacking midfield. You found a place for him there. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, stop with the bullshit. We had Andre Wisdom talking about him on a beautiful game podcast saying dishonest. I remember RLC talking about when he went to... Uh, oh, damn, we'll, we'll talk about Andre. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sure. sorry. Anyway, yeah. when it comes down to it, the, the whole lineup, the match, we can see, I've said it before, he's a button basher, right? And we saw it at Chelsea before, always changing formations. I feel like he's a bit of a... Do you know when they talk about, I don't want to diagnose him, but all that kind of sociopath and all that type of stuff. When it comes down to it, like with him... I swear he feels like the only difference between him and Arteta is that the board backed Arteta. And if the board backed him and then um, fire him, he'll be in the same place. Like, you haven't... And the fact that he was saying that he wants to give advice to the new manager, you're losing every game. Like, what, what, what's going on? What is going on? So, um, Madueke started. And we all know Lampard because really and truly, as a manager, your job, your job is simply to win games get points and win games for a football club but he knows that he's not good enough and so he always tries for these second place or third place trophy saying oh yeah I gave Reese James a chance I launched this career and he probably gonna try and latch on to Madueke and kind of that's what he's trying to do with Connor and stuff like that already like he's probably gonna try and latch on to Madueke but it's good that Madueke kind of got a chance and I saw people kind of give Madueke heat through the match. And then you know how people are. Now he scored a goal. Everybody said he's amazing. But I think Madueke, and I know not he, uh, sorry, I know Timpson, that's your boy. I think that he, sh he gave a good account of himself. Um, but in general, I think people are too harsh on players, especially in this situation. Kovacic gave an assist. You know, he would have got heat without the assist. He probably still gets heat with the assist. But like the whole thing is a shambles. And at this point, where people can't fit in a dressing room. Players can't get a decent run because Lampard's changed the formation every single game and there's 50 different players to try. So every single match we're seeing a new player and players that we know are going to be leaving are still getting on the pitch. Players that have just signed and got 10-year contracts, they're not seeing game time. You know, it's a big mess. That's that's me, man. All right, cool. Um, so then I'll come to you for this um, last couple of points on the Arsenal game before we move on. Enzo, Fernand Enzo Fernandez, I want to talk about um, 120 million star boy. He's looking very dim under Lampard. Um, I think everyone in regards to this six game run gets some level of blanket immunity 
for um, performances, um, especially when you've shown um, under Potter, Enzo can be a spark and be creative. What are your thoughts on Enzo being that deepest midfielder whilst he plays Kante and Gallagher and not in not Gallagher specifically in this game, but Kovacic in this game alongside um, Kante. What are your thoughts on Enzo and um, like the Lampard effect on his his game since he's come in? Um, I think it's like you said. Like the first thoughts that pop into my mind is definitely unity. Like I, I think about for, throughout this squad, there's players that I like and players that I don't necessarily like, just like everyone else. And you know, I've I've stayed I've stayed away from speaking about any of them because I understand the circumstance they're in, and it's not really about an individual at the moment. Um, I wish everyone would understand that. You know, for example, Felix and others, but I feel like people just kind of are latching onto their agendas now that we're not doing well. But with Enzo specifically, what I will say is um it's take, like his form has definitely dipped since since Lampard's been here. But again, that kind of falls down to to probably a lack of instructions, probably a lack of clarity into what it what his role exactly is. And you you bring up uh, Gallagher and Kante, him being the deepest midfielder, for him to thrive, um it will require other profiles to be in front of him that are on the same wavelength as him. You know, as much as he's worth 120 million, I understand the expectations that he has, but you can't really just throw someone in and expect them to do well, really. I feel like uh, the issues he's faced, um, I just don't necessarily see him being an expert, like, like for example, what J5 was in, in the first phase. I don't necessarily see him uh, someone who can be very creative uh, from the final third up. Uh, so, obviously, um, it's a little bit concerning, but I'm just hoping that with the right structure and then the right um, setup around him, hopefully we do see the player that we spend that money on. Uh, but I think, again, with me at the moment, I kind of just stray away from, you know, individually analysing players because I can't pick out one player who has half impressed under Lampard, really. And, you know, with, with, with the formation changing every week and the profiles changing every week, it's not really a surprise. As he said, um, and then this is just the last point on the game for best to end on somewhat of a pos- positive note. My guy, Noni Madueke, um, he gave a really good account of himself, his dribbling, his progression um, was something that I was really, really happy to see. Obviously, you guys speak to me in the chat. You know I'm a big fan of um, Takafuza Kubo. Um because of his progressive passing as a right wing, a left-footed right winger, but Noni showed that he's also capable of um, driving us forward with his dribbling ability. Um, there was one spell in particular in the first half where he got us nice and high, um, and obviously really happy he timed his run so well and managed to get his first goal. Clearly part of the club's long-term future. A price tag that I think we'll look back on and think, yeah, um, this was a bargain. Uh, Dan, what was your thoughts on Noni? Should this be the start of um, Noni coming into more prominence in terms of his minutes on the pitch and his role in the in the team? First and foremost, praise to you, brother, because you've been talking about Noni for a while. Do you know what I'm saying? Way before it happened. Thank you. Thank you. Underrated, and I can say it wasn't this season. It's been. Sorry, continue. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, with with Timpson, I like. Do you know what I don't like about most people that like this youth thing? I think that a lot of them, they name a hundred names and any single young player that comes up or that they see or that they maybe even see on Championship Manager, whatever, they try to attach the name to a hundred names. But Real Scouting isn't trying to just list out every name you see. It's about seeing loads and then saying, actually, these are the guys that are back. And what I like about Timpson is that you don't have loads of guys, but when you have guys, you let everyone know real early. You let me know about Noni. And I, I again, knowing about a player is different from believing in them because I knew about Noni because he done that, had that thing where Sancho went to Dortmund and he was the next young player that went at an extremely young age to a continental club at PSV. So he hadn't even been in, you know, the first team. I think it was like 15 at the time or something like that where he went from Spurs to PSV. So I had been following because I follow young players, but seeing him, 
especially he was really young at that age, it's so difficult to tell because he kind of looked bigger than the other younger players. So it's like, okay, when you get to men's football and you haven't really developed into your final body. But um, I don't know, there was something about me when I saw him, I was like, hmm, again, maybe it's biased because you're in the Dutch league and it's like, hmm, maybe it's a bit easier to dribble there. But like Suarez came from the Dutch league, Robin came from the Dutch league. I feel like sometimes we need to understand like you don't become Superman in the in the Dutch league. Do you know what I'm saying? You still have to take people on. But um, when we were linked with him and I started to review takes, people were saying that he's got something about the belt. One thing I liked about him, it shows with the goal. We've seen it with Hudson Odoi, who I think always, I don't, I don't think he's ever, because I remember me and Meads had a debate where we were saying, how many goals do we expect? And I was like, I don't really feel like his goal scoring there. I think that's probably one of the weakest parts of his game. But I think with Noni, like, you saw that type of finish, but we can see that actually he can finish from range as well. But I feel like he's got good potential to be a goal scoring winger. But also, like we saw in the game, he can carry up the ball by himself too. And don't forget, he's super young, so he's like 20. So, and don't forget, we, I keep saying don't forget, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? But with, we've seen Omari come in and we've seen everybody say, everybody bought Omari stocks. All of the, our players are rubbish, just play the young people. And I think what that's what happens with Chelsea. We get disinterest or we start losing. We start hating the, the names that we usually see. So we want to see newness. And so we've seen, oh yeah, look, Omari's the one, the new saviour. Then he comes in, doesn't really kind of fit it. And then it's like, Carney, I want to see Carney. And then he comes in and, you know what I'm saying? A big, big pressure is loading on him. Then maybe he has a down match and it's like, okay, we don't want to see Carney no more. And the reason why I say that is because Noni's had this good game. And to be fair, like, I remember in the other games he played, I think he, he, he gave a good account of himself as well. But what I'm saying is he's allowed to not be perfect. Let's not build him up too high so that, because we know how this fan base is as well. Like, as much as you build people up, you're building also an army against them. Do you know what I'm saying? To try and knock them down. But um, I think he get, I think he gave a really positive um, account of himself, not just today, but whenever I've seen him. Um, and so shout out to you, Timpson. Not Nonny. I'm going to give all the praise to Timpson for that fight. Thank you very much. I mean, Nonny was very much someone that I saw as a unicorn, such height with coupled with such dribbling ability, my only concerns were a lot of his strengths were when he was on the ball, could he round out his game to be super dangerous, like a Sterling at Man City um, with his off-the-ball movement, and could he grow into his man body and learn how to um, create separation um, so you can receive the ball without a fullback right up against you? Or would you be... In addition to that, would he be able to learn how to halt to pin a man like a centre forward, old school style? So, uh, which could come in handy in certain game game states. So, um, he seems to be uh, coming along quite nicely. So, I think for the re- for for the remainder of this dead rubber season, um, he should be our starting right winger. Um, no, no ifs or buts. All right, so we'll move on from the um, Chelsea Arsenal game. So sorry, sorry, Slens. Do Do you mind if I just 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 like a one minute on Noni? Of course, on, yeah? of course. Just, just for me, um, obviously seeing him play is literally like it's a breath of fresh air, right? Because he has that ability, that just that raw ability to to be direct, which is I feel like something we kind of miss. But you see, um, I I kind of was looking at Pep and even Arteta to an extent, their philosophy on wingers, right? and how they receive the ball. Like, they put them in positions to receive the ball on, on almost a half turn. Like, just, just that's, that's the basic thing, right? With Noni, I feel like he's, some, he's someone who will strive heavily if he's coached in that, in that direction. Because um, when you're fronting your man, you said you want him to kind of be, uh, you know, back to the defender and, and try, to, like, a, like a striker. Like, yeah, you know what? I want you to learn that, but first and foremost, I want to put you in a position where you can turn your defender. You can make it make it difficult for him by being on a half turn already. So just just kind of little these little coaching tips. I feel like with a good manager with a good tactical setup, someone like Noni, he'll be very very good in our system. And I also think you know how um, Dan was speaking about the pressure and how fans react to these signings. I think what's really good is that Noni came in in kind of a mess, right, with a lot of signings around him that cost a lot more. So he can be kind of that gem, that that guy that we signed for what was it, thirty seven million. 
like it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't even a lot of profile around it. it wasn't a lot of noise around it so it's nice to see him come in and hopefully he can come in next season with a fresh slate and kind of without the pressure without the the eyes of the fans on him and hopefully he can shine nicely put um <clears throat> all right so we'll shift from the arsenal game we'll now put that behind us and we'll quickly talk about the man the myth the legend frank lampard uh, let me just preface this with um, whatever's this said about Frank Lampard is for me, Frank Lampard, uh, the manager, um, is where I take issue. Obviously, he remains a legend at the club in my eyes. Um, and obviously, as a player, he was um, he was he was wonderful for us. So, Dan, I'm going to let you go off, but um, I'm just going to ask, has even though I think I know the answer, has Frank Lampard managed to make the situation worse since coming in? I didn't even like him as a player. I know it's, wow. it's a weird one. I'm not going to get into it. I, I, again, it's not to say that he wasn't effective. He was an effective player, but I just, I feel like the way that everybody rated him, I didn't rate him the same way. So I'm not saying any shit, but like, it's easy for me to slander him. You can see it on the Chelsea Hour timeline. It's been easy for me. But um, has he made us worse? Obviously, like just results wise, 100% he's made us worse. Um, toxicity in the stadium, it's actually worked because if we still had Potter and we had these results, it would be help. So the kind of gamble that the, the board kind of played where it's like, actually, we don't know if we're going to be able to find an interim that can do a good job. But if we put in Lampard, he doesn't even have to do a good job as long as he doesn't relegate us, which is that we, we're still doing calculations and it's May. <laughs> Chelsea Football Club are doing calculations in May to see if whether we can go down or not, which is crazy. Um, but in that regard, I think they just wanted to buy time because I feel like they wanted Potter to finish the season. I don't think that they had any aims of this season. I just thought it's almost like trying to get to the finish line. And I think that they were thought that with Lampard, that he would almost settle the match-going fans. <clears throat> but every single time we lose, there's a dent to the credibility of Chelsea. When you're trying to convince an Osimhen or whoever you want, a main target to come to us, it'll be easier for other people, even Arsenal. Like, we shouldn't be... If it's Chelsea or Arsenal, it should be easy Chelsea. But with Todd Bowley and also with the perception going out with every single L, it doesn't, like... People, it's not a free hit. Every single, it's not a free hit. You're damaging, again, the some of the players that have even signed the contracts, long-term contracts, apparently they're angling to get out. Um, he's 100% made us worse. It's reflecting in the results. It's reflecting in the demeanour. What we heard was that, do you know what, results aren't going well under Potter, but the camp seems kind of high. I don't think the camp is okay since then. So I think that apart from the fact that it's not as as toxic as it should be in the stadiums. Everything else is worse. Everything else is worse. Um, so yeah. Fair. <clears throat> and just one more point before we go to our sponsors. I'm gonna send it to you, Slens. Is he doing long-term damage with certain players? You're looking at a Mudrick who he's obviously people are clamoring for. You're looking at a Carney who's not played a single minute um, and other youngsters uh, like Anoni who you're kind of at this point wondering what they need to do to get minutes with the team underperforming and the players that Frank is pref uh, preferring um, not performing and his explanations in press conferences talking about team selections are based on training it does make you wonder what is there, is there such a difference in the quality of training that these guys who are underperforming on the pitch are doing compared to a Kani Chukwameka, a Noni Madueke, a even an, an Amari, an Amari to an extent with um, Ziek still coming on for Noni? Um, just really quick, is he doing damage with certain um, players long term, in your opinion? Um, I think I think yes, I think he is, um, but. Um, in a way, um, I think the uh, the turnover in our club, whether it's managers, you know, directors, even groundsmen, that all that that Todd Bowley sets the tempo. That Todd Bowley and his and his ownership, they set the tempo. That so, 
I'll put the blame more on them in this case because at the end of the day, they were the, they were the ones who appointed him anyways. So I think um, when you sign players, for example, in the summer, uh, and um, what's it called? And um, you give them certain promises, um, they're bound to be broken when you have two other managers who have different ideas. So, yes, I believe long-term damage can happen. We're looking at, for example, Khan, if you're, if you're, if you're led to believe the reports about broken promises, etc., that could create long-term damage because we, we can miss out on, on a talent like Khan who could turn out to be very, very good. I'm even, like, if you're even watching the, for example, United and Brighton are playing today, I, I heard Gilmore had a very good performance. Like, these kind of things, they happen from broken promises and broken promises come from a turnover right? because managers have different perspectives, they have different priorities. So, of course, long-term damage can happen, but I just hope that, like, this squad is in place, the young players are, are in place in this club and have the contracts they do, so we can overcome this, long to, this, this damage and we can, you know, pick it back up next season. That's just the hope that I have. Fair enough. And I think that um, covers it for Frank at Chelsea in this current spell. We're just going to take a break so you can hear from our sponsors um, before we talk about Frank as a manager overall. And we're back. Um, so now we're going to talk about Frank Lampard. Is Frank a manager? Now, I feel like Dan has made his opinion very clear on Frank. So, Slend, I mean, let me start off with you. What? In terms of his as a manager, whether it be at Chelsea, Derby, what is he good at? Because for me, he is um, almost the face of nepotism in football management. You start, you look at the Derby role, um, Uncle Harry makes a call and he gets the job. First thing he does is raid his old club for um, Jody Morris, the head of um, physiotherapies um, at the academy level. Um, a couple of other staffing members, and obviously he takes two of our most promising young players at the time in Fakar Tamori and Mason Mount. And then there was talks of him trying to get Ethan Ampadu as a third. Um, and he also, in addition to Liverpool's Harry Wilson at the time, um, and performance was really going well. So in that, in that instance at Derby, which is obviously his best spell as a manager, um, he had a lot of help. Um, getting the role in terms of and and then implementing the style and um, improving the squad from Chelsea and obviously Jody Morris and the staff that he took from Chelsea. But in your opinion, objectively speaking, um, what is he good at? Because I've only seen a couple of performances where I thought, okay, Frank got his tactics spot on. Actually, actually only one when we beat Tottenham away in his first season. Um, in his first spell at, at, um, as the boss, and obviously Sun getting a red card helped. Um, in your opinion, Slens, what, what, what is he good at? Um, <laughs> he's, he's good at knowing the right people. He's, he's, he's good at using the status to become a manager. <laughs> that's that's what I really think. But tactically, I, I can't pick out anything. I can't really pick out anything. I, I think that his spell... His last two spells, this one and Everton, have been so bad that it makes you doubt um, the positives that came from the 1920s uh, season, which I think, by the way, might be a bit unpopular. I think it's a bit of an overrated campaign anyways. I mean, mm -hmm. I watch my clubs concede 79 goals in all competitions. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I'll see that again, <laughs> to be honest. So, yes, like they were, obviously the ultimate target was reached, but... Honestly, I don't mean to sound like I'm, I'm trying to violate him as a manager, but I generally cannot pick out any positives from his appointment, from his uh, career as a manager. Mm. I think maybe you can you can pick up to, to his status and him being able to attract certain stars to, to certain clubs. I'm looking at Samori. I'm looking at um you know uh, the signings that he attracted that even uh, Wilson from from uh, the ex Liverpool player, current Fulham player. I know he attracted those players to the club. Uh, but other than that, I don't have any positives to say, I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I like a challenge. And so this is a big challenge. So in terms of positives, what does he bring as a manager? One thing I will say is the bar is low, but I think it's important to speak clear English. Or even if it's not, it can be broken, but I think there's, there's a respect that comes across with clear communication. 
I think his communication skills are overrated anyway. I think he uh, thinks he's a better speaker than he is. Um, but he's adequate, so I'll give him that. He can speak English. Um, what else? Come back to me. Come back to me. Let me think. It's hard for me to say too much, um, especially when we talk about this, uh, when we discuss the next part of this Frank Lampard um, dissection. Obviously, I lauded him with his tactics when we beat Spurs um, at their at their ground in his first spell against Mourinho. But he seemed so pleased with switching to a back three and it worked so well that he decided to play it in, I believe, the next game against Southampton and we ended up losing. So he got his tactics right one game. He tried to persist with it and it didn't really work very well. So, yeah, it's tough. I thought, um, of, I thought of another thing, by the way, for Lampard. Go on, Dan. So, obviously, being a football player, he's super competitive. And I feel like even... I think it's so important to be competitive and to be, like, really... Because right now, he's just... He's a loser as a manager. He's a big loser. But that's kind of... It goes against what he's used to as a player. And I feel like, in himself, he's a winner. And I feel like... He would be a better manager if he kind of accepted, like, oh, actually, I'm not that good. And this is how I need to get better. But I feel like a lot of times he doesn't accept it. And he's like, oh, no, I just haven't. I should I should have been given more time and all this type of stuff. Oh, Tuchel done better because, you know, he figured out that we should play a 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, like, that's kind of what I'm getting. Maybe I'm wrong. But... He is super competitive. And when you kind of compare it to a Potter, for instance, I don't necessarily think that he's, I don't get from him anyway, that he's ever kind of had that kind of like incessant winning kind of thing. And obviously Lampard hasn't had it as a manager, but he knows like what it is to be at a team where it's like winning every single game is important. I just feel like the blocker between him getting closer to that as a manager is I feel like you have to be vulnerable and accept responsibility because you'll never learn or get better unless you really expose yourselves to your flaws. And I think that's the blocker that if he can remove that, then I think he can get better as a manager. Like you said, in terms of the whole three, four, three, I feel like very simplistic. And this is a negative. I know you said what the positives, but I feel like, He's supposed to be 150 IQ. That's He's supposed to be intelligent. And so one thing that maybe is good for him or could be bad, but I'm sure he's someone that goes around and studies lots of other managers and all of that type of stuff. But when it comes down to it, like the whole switching, switching formation and the whole like, oh, we won because we played a 3-4-3 or we lost because we played a 3-5-2. Next match, we're going to have to do that. That's not smart. I'm sorry, like, that's not smart. Every single challenge team is going to bring you different challenges. What worked against one team isn't necessarily going to work on against the other, which is why it's your job as a manager to build a team that can survive against so many different teams. And obviously, he's in the interim period now, so, like, that's a different remit. But when he was at the club, if he had stuck, especially because he was a new manager, I think the smartest strategy would be for him to keep, not everything has to be a variable. Keep some things as constants. Keep a formation as constant. When one team pulls your legs, your pants down, then actually, rather than changing everything up, make a tweak here. Say, how do we continue playing this formation there, et cetera, et cetera. And that way, you're road testing your philosophy. You're building a philosophy because you're road testing it. And every single game, you're almost making yourself more um, impregnable. Do you know what I'm saying? More resilient because... You're working on kind of, okay, you've made this mistake. We're not, we're never going to make this mistake again in this formation. But when you're changing all the formations, all the lineups, like who do you think you are? You're new to management. So I feel like there are some things there in terms of, I'm sure like he's a hard worker. Like I said, as a player, he was a hard worker. So I'm sure as a manager, he's doing a lot of homework and all that type of stuff. And I'm sure that he wants to be good. And like some people just kind of check in. Do you know what I'm saying? Some people go into the job and they don't want to be. I'm sure he wants to be good, but I feel like there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of, I feel like as a person, he's not a good person either. 
Um, and I feel like a lot of that shit is getting in his way, in his way. But yeah, I think I need some time to kind of really think about and really be objective. And there are some things that could potentially make him a good manager in the future, but he has to do some personal, yeah, I feel like reflection if he wants to be a manager, that is. Yeah, I think the worry with Frank is um, one of one that many top players who try their hand at management find just not being able to translate their find the kind of bridge between their natural ability, whether things they do effortlessly, other players can't, and tr- being able to the- theorize that and put that into coaching to translate it is something that he's struggled to overcome at times. Um, but yeah, Slens, let me get your thoughts on this because Andre Wisdom, who was obviously uh, worked under Frank um, in his spell at Derby, had was on a podcast um, and he had some criticism labelled at Frank. Um, <clears throat> so the first one of the first things he said was he just expected a bit more. Um, Jody Morris, he like as people they didn't get on which is fine um that doesn't translate to um that doesn't mean that you're not you can't be successful um in a coach and player scenario he said that he just expected more from frank in general he wasn't in awe of frank he um the the coaching he what he wasn't impressed by and uh also what he said was he's it felt a bit clicky and um, Frank came in and there was a the, the old spirit that was pretty strong and pretty positive at Derby. Frank very much stamped it out with his uh, the players that he brought in, the personnel in terms of the staff he brought in. And um, one thing that was quite damning was um, talking behind players' backs and Andre Wisdom said that the only manager to ever scream at him was... Frank Lampard and that was because he made some comments not necessarily um, about the state of the club but he made some comments about Derby uh, that Frank didn't like and a lot of the hairdryer treatment in terms of the content of when he was being shouted at was not necessarily his football ability or anything like that it was more him as a person which for me crosses the line slightly if you want to talk about me as a player, not doing this, not doing that, on as I should be, not pressing. I can take that as a professional, but criticising a person, uh, a person for who they are and their personality feels a bit harsh. Um, so, with so my question to you, Slens, is: Does this revelation, these um, revelations from Andre Wisdom, kind of surprise you? Does it kind of? Fuel some of um, your thoughts on Frank and his man management, uh, and him as a, as as a person um, in terms of management. What's your thoughts on it? Um, I think I think it does slightly, and I think I explain why. Um, first of all, like the status he had as a footballer, um, I think it will probably probably play against him in the circumstance as a manager, right, uh, and. I think I forgot who said this, but not like not every great player turns to be a great um, either manager or director because uh, you kind of expect the standards that you set from everyone else. But understanding being a great athlete, having a talent that you did, not everyone's going to be able to match it. And if they don't match it, I feel like the way he react, the, the way you react, is important. Um, obviously throughout his playing campaign, he was managed by the likes of Jose and even Harry Redknapp back in West Ham, et cetera, like they probably have certain approaches, right, that he probably tries to, um, you know, use in, in the modern day. But he has to understand the difference in the errors. Like, I think the errors back then were very different to now in terms of how you deal with players, how you deal with personalities, how you treat your players in the first place. So I think that experience probably plays against them. And I think um, it's very important for managers now to understand the power that players have, the egos that they have, rightfully so and unrightfully so as well. And and I think if you overstep your mark as a, as a coach, they will not hesitate to stand up to you. They will not hesitate to to you know to overstep their line as as a player and and you know question your authority. So I feel like it does kind of play into the idea that I have of him. Of course, we spoke about nepotism 
I feel like <clears throat> sorry, I feel like his whole career, um, even his playing career, if you think about it, it does the word nepotism does surround it. It does surround it, whether we like it or not. But in his, in terms of his playing career, I'll give him I'll give him credit because he still worked hard enough to to you know be one of the best midfielders in, in Premier League history. But as a manager, it's it's kind of exposed it. It's exposed that he's he's in places he doesn't belong in. It's exposed that you know that he, he probably hasn't put the due diligence of other managers and working through smaller divisions and working your way up. That chip on the shoulder is very important. It's very important. It's something that I respect. When we were speaking about potential candidates for Chelsea, I love looking at their best stories. I love reading about how they struggled to, to be in, in four, four div, uh, fourth divisions and go in and, and, you know, working their way to the top because I feel like once those guys get to the top, they definitely have a chip on the shoulder. They definitely want to prove themselves and that will always mean that the best performances will, ha- will happen. So I feel like all of these factors have probably played against him in the circumstance. And, and the way he dealt with wisdom, if true, it's, it's abhorrent. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be the case. You should never attack a person's character. Like you might have an issue with, with their football. You might have an issue with the way they, they you know, um, receiving your message. But to attack their character is very weak for me. Can I chime in? Simpson? Go for it. So, number one, the kind of whole it, he turned Derby into a clicky thing, that's not a shocker to me. Mikel talked about how it took him five years for him to get the confidence to be able to speak to the the cabal, he called it. And that that's clicky. You know how everybody will say, player power at Chelsea, player power, they're getting them out. Like, I'm sure Lampard was one of the, when you talk about leaders, Leader for evil, do you know what I'm saying? Not for good. Like, um, he is that type of person with the clickiness. And, like, look, when it comes down to it, Lampard, I feel like he's got a certain type of player that he likes as well. And he's got a certain type of football. When he talks about, are oh, they not playing how I want to play? Get it forward quickly, get it forward quickly. And all this, I don't want this possession, get it forward quickly and all that type of stuff, right? That's fine. Um, Again, not all clubs want that. You find a club that you like, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I feel like players that like skill. So he talks about Felix and all that type of stuff. Like I feel like we talked about his upbringing and the fact that you said that a lot of it is nepotism. Again, he's a Tory. I think like a lot of these type of people, because he's a hard worker. I feel like he believes that. Because as a hard worker, he's earned everything by himself. Where it's like, you could be a hard worker, but just be in worse circumstances. And then, do you know what I'm saying? You're not going to get that. And so I feel like, I don't know whether he acknowledges that actually, yeah, you've worked hard, but still nepotism comes into play. But I feel like the reason why I talked about that is because, like Andrew Wisdom said, he was the only person, manager, that screamed in his face. Like, I know that maybe in the old school they did that. And to be fair, I'm sure like other managers did it. But I'm just saying, it's like, who do you think you are the way you're talking to people? Do you know what I'm saying? And this is not the only time I've heard it. I remember when Sturridge came into the club. Luckily, maybe because I was a big Sturridge fan, I got to speak to Sturridge's brother, Leon Leon Sturridge. And I don't know if you wanted to keep this between me and you, Leon, but this is now between me and the Chessier audience. But... He was talking about how Lampard gave him a hard time because you want your young players to believe in their way. Daniel Sturridge came in and he was saying, I deserve to be playing more because Daniel Sturridge, whenever he started in the FA Cup, he was scoring goals. Like he would he would barely get a sniff and the only kind of thing they would give him was the FA Cup. And what? guess what? He'd come in and score. And at that time, we were struggling for goals, which is why we went and spent 50 million on Torres. But, like, Leon, Leon Sturridge was saying that Lampard keeps on telling him that he thinks he's better than he is, and that... Do you know, like, when I said that Mikel, it took five years for Mikel to believe he could even talk to Lampard? That's no way to run a, a group. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not. It's no way... If you talk about collaboration, like, that's no way... But that's when you talk about clicks, it doesn't surprise me. The way that he, like, hierarchy, and I'm better than you... And do you know what I'm saying? All of that is bullshit. Like, I like servant leaders. Servant leaders. 
Like, yes, I'm not saying that. Like, a servant leader can still be someone. Like, Mourinho, like, I feel like I can hang with him, chill with him, but you don't want to cross him. And Mourinho will be like, look, I've done all this work. You know, I've given, I'll, I'll tell you everything about that fullback as a winger. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm going to do everything to provide you with the best. Do you know what I'm saying? But I just feel like with him, there's this kind of whole level of snarkiness. There's the way he talks about Pogba. Horrible. Like, I don't care what you like. He was talking about, oh, you know, like, I thought it was just, I thought that it was poor for him to talk about another professional like that. I remember when Jody Morris was laughing at Werner on that show or whatever. And I just feel like a lot of them lack class. A lot of them lack class. And the clickiness, they lack class. And like, even the way he talks about Felix in the, just before the match, that lacks class. Again, it's like, you're supposed to be someone that you're trying to get people to be like, you're supposed to be someone that can motivate people. But why would you say that about Felix before the game? And it's like, I don't know. You still might need him. You haven't even drawn a game, but you're saying that about someone. What he said about Kepa, when it was like, oh, we've looked at the stats and all that type of stuff. And he tried to blame his failings on Kepa. Like, I don't, I don't, look, you guys rate that guy. I promise you, I've got no ratings for him. And I don't care about his playing career because I even rate him then anyway. But the whole Rudiger thing, uh, like, I feel like it stinks. I feel like he stinks. I can't lie. I don't rate him, but if, like, like I said before, you asked me about positives. He is someone that has worked hard, that is diligent. That's That shit's not easy. That shit's not easy. Or it's not just not easy. Like, it is a way to success to being diligent. But I feel like there's a lot of bullshit that comes along with it as well. But like, I remember I saw a little video back in the day when him he went on a holiday, I think was it with Dyer, Kieran Dyer and Rio Ferdinand and the nonsense they used to get up to. That guy's a wrong one. I tell I'm telling you, I never liked that guy. But yeah, that's that's enough for me. Go on Simpson, back back to you bro. I've finished my rant. Cool. Um all right, Slens, let me ask you, um, where does he go from here post-Chelsea? For me, I don't really see how he can go back to Premier League management at any level, whether it's relegation strugglers, mid-table, anything. I think he needs a long sabbatical to get the taste of his managerial stint at Everton and this Chelsea stint Um away from everybody's recent memories, potentially even uh, manage abroad. Um, where do you think he goes, Lens? He goes right into the um, the uh, comforts of punditry at BT. So he does 100%. I think media is probably the best solution for him. And I think you're looking at managers. I'm looking at Patrick Vieira. Wasn't sacked too long ago. You've seen him on Sky Sports. So I think... I think he should hold on to that job. And I think someone like Gary Neville, like as much as he was, Gary Neville's kind of criticised and, and kind of, um, you know, he's he's he's, uh, he's mocked for his, for his role at Valencia. What I respect about him is that he understood that it's just not for him. He had to try it. And, and I respect him trying it, but he realised that it's just not for him and he took a step back. And I remember Jamie Carragher speaking about it as well, actually. Oh, he would never get into management. He just says, I'm comfortable in what I do. I understand my role here. I'm in a very good company, um, you know, that he, he feels like he's good at what he does. Maybe that's that's what Lampard should do as well. I feel like he should just understand his strengths. Um, I think he'll definitely get more job offers because of who he is. But if I was him, I definitely wouldn't take them. I think I'd just stay in the comforts of BT and just uh, commentate on Chelsea in the conference league in a couple of years. You know what, yeah? yeah. The punditry thing, like... One thing I do respect Lampard for is trying to be a manager. Gary Neville as well tried it. I don't think he put himself about as much as I think he should have. Um, because once you've got the mouth to speak about these guys, like just because you're a player, you're speaking about managers too. And I feel like it humbles you. Do you know what I'm saying? And I feel like the good thing is that Lampard did dare to do it. Do you know what I'm saying? But because punditry, there is no league table for punditry. So you can be shit and you can make wild, un unfounded claims and, and, and stuff like that. But no one's tracking it. 
And so there's no respect in punditry. Do you know what I'm saying? We we, we kind of do it here. Do you know what I'm saying? People will remember your old shouts and stuff like that and you try and keep you accountable. But especially at that level, like where you're saying stuff and you have the ability to go manage. Like I can't lie. If I was in that position and I had the ability to be a manager, I'm not doing punditry. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a manager. I'm training to be a manager because when it comes down to it, you're putting yourself forward. Like, you know, best. And if you do, then coach <laughs> it's simple so like I feel like if you've got access to be a manager then start the journey to be a good manager do you know what I'm saying so like I don't really I don't respect pundits the way you lot respect like, well not you lot but generally that like, people respect pundits the my favorite pundits to listen to are actually really really experienced managers like a Wenger or Mourinho when they speak it's beautiful because it's not just sound bites and it's not trash and it's not just half-baked ideas these guys have actually lived the shit. Do you know what I'm saying? And so Lampard relegated himself to that fodder of people that are just going around, you know what I'm saying, that have the ability to actually become a coach, but they're just pathetically sitting down in, the, in their suits thinking that, that I, I, I don't rate them. But yeah, so like Lampard, go do that, innit? Fair enough. So, yeah. Um, we'll just finish off on Maurizio Pochettino. Um, obviously, it looks like it's all but done in regards to him taking over as the next Chelsea boss. Um, Dan, I want to give you um, a spot and just say, what are your general thoughts and uh, expectations from Pochettino next season? Um, my thoughts on Pochettino is I've been humbled if you used to ask me a couple of years ago, I'll be like, no, 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 there's no way. But we've had a mid-table manager. We've had a relegation for the manager as well. We had Lampard back, who I hated the first time. Hate him even more now. So beggars can't be choosers. And like Poch looking mighty fine to me now. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, so with Pochettino, Slens, that's your guy. So you can really go off on him because I feel like you was buying that Pochettino to Chelsea stocks a long time ago. But yeah. I think like what I'm looking forward to just quickly is um, not just, I feel like when people say, oh, we need to sell players to the squad, like I hope we don't just go back to the same type of squad we had under Tuchel. I feel like we had too big a squad, even under Tuchel. I feel like we really need to trim the herd because I think one of the things when people talk about we've got too many players, yes, it is like even getting the pitch and stuff like that but also responsibility. Like, do you know what I'm saying? When this group is small, like for the last time we won the league, it was the same players going out every single week. So when it came down to it, them guys had the responsibility to find the win. Do you know what I'm saying? Whereas when you disperse it, because so many players are involved, it's like no one feels responsible. So I feel like I'm really looking forward to him, hopefully really just trimming down it so that, we don't have too many players. We have a really almost small squad. I hope that happens. But also um, the fitness, apparently he makes teams run around and be fit. So again, I don't think it's a good idea. They're talking about bringing Lukaku back. I think that it's a, a risk that he shouldn't take because you want as much as possible to make, don't bring in any things that could blow up the things. And we've already had a season of blow up because Lukaku was supposed to be the guy that was the striker and he didn't fit. Um, so I just don't know why you'd take that risk again, but you, well, one of the reasons why is Lukaku might be fitter and he might kind of play him to his strengths more as under, you know, Pochettino, but, um, yeah, I'm looking to like someone that's coming in and that understands, because I think with Bowley, he's been very careless with like just the general staff. I feel like a lot of managers, they understand. Ferguson was talking about, you have to have respect to the, the dinner lady and stuff like that. And they have to understand that. Whereas at Chelsea, like the, the second of physio, the second of groundman, et cetera. And I remember Gary Neville was saying, and I think one thing that Pochettino understands is that, you know, that kind of, yeah, let's kind of create that group and all that type of stuff. I don't know if he's got what I talked about earlier in terms of being able to really, really inspire, but also having a fear factor. That's one of the reasons why I'm not sure if he's an elite manager, but I do believe that he has got methods that he's developed and he's not half-baking it like some clowns. Um, and he's obviously used it at a high level because he's done it at Spurs and PSG to 
So there's a lot of experience. Um, and there's also someone that likes to work with young players as well. He came from New Orleans Old Boys, which is they're like the Ajax of Argentina. And so it's important for him to do that as well. So, yeah. And um, he did talk about like he was inspired by the class of 92 um, as well. Because, again, like New Orleans Old Boy, there was built on a foundation of young players. And so he's going to look at the young players and he's going to try and do the same thing here. That's that's one thing that he likes to do, which is interesting and then I think some people are even jaded with Coppin graduates and stuff like that. But I've always been a fan of having academy players kind of because I think it's important. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. Fans, final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, if, if just, yeah, I was listening, uh, listening, listening to the last podcast I was on. Um, I almost got kicked out by Dan. But I'm on a podcast I was doing, so I think my <laughs> clear. <laughs> I definitely are clear. I'm I'm a big Poch fan, and I think um, the circumstances that he once upon a time walked into with Spurs, uh, of course, it's not identical, but there's similarities as to what we're going through right now. Um, obviously, their lows wasn't at lo- as low as we are right now, but the issues with the effort, with the squad, with the pressing, with the size of the squad, with you know, the, just the chaos, the pure chaos that's happening. I think. Is something that he has dealt with in the past. I find that very important to kind of try and and you know just to go in and, and expect you know to expect a mess, and I trust him to do to to actually fix the mess. So um, that experience helps. I feel like uh, remember when I was speaking about pressing. I'm just I've been dying to see my team, you know, actually have a press since probably early days of Tuchel, probably his just first season actually. And I think Potts will definitely bring that back for like the fitness in our players, which is not spoken about actually. The current fitness of our players in general seems very, very poor. And I think that's that's uh, a representation of basically our our training re- like regime, the the demands of the managers that we've had probably not been right, probably not been um, to to the level required. So all of these things together with the fact that. He's someone who loves developing young players. Um, the former players that have been managed by him, they always have good things to say. They always uh, mention a balance of a friend and also a coach and someone who's, who's got authority, who's an authoritarian. So I will definitely want that at the club. I want a good balance. I don't want a dictator and I don't want someone who's maybe too kind and a bit of a pushover because we do have personalities in the squad. So, And also, just the last thing, actually, the system as well. The system... If uh, just kind of the research that I've done and the teams that I've watched, I've seen his systems and I think the 4 2 3 1 alongside the hybrid kind of the 3 4 3 or the 3 4 2 1, that would suit the current profiles we have in terms of the plays we have on long contract. So, all of these things put together, like even when people speaking about Nagelsmann and Moses Faith, Bruce Enrique, I was still advocating for Poch. So, I'm excited to have him in, very excited. Cool. We'll leave it there. Um, thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Thank you to my co-host, Dan. Pleasure. Cheers. And thank you to you also, Slens. 